This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the World's Greatest Podcast, Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Best podcast in the universe. I don't think we haven't had a chance to sit on the podcast yet, but everybody who came out to the blog party a few weeks ago, thanks for coming. We had... 350 people registered. Uh, it was a good time. Chuck's house was pretty much destroyed, but other than that, uh, <laughs> we had a really, really good time. So look out for the next event. We've got a whole bunch coming down the pipe this year. We've got our buddy, John Cabot with Rigger here with us today in the studio. What's going on, man? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Uh, like, I like the digs over here. It's pretty nice. Hey, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for the compliment. Yeah. This room was just a uh, bright white Jail cell. Yeah, cinder block <laughs> walls. It looked like a prison cell, so we tried to spruce it up a little bit. And I really appreciate you guys good. dressing up for me, too. Yeah. Which we tried to. You know, it's summer's here, so... Oh, we don't have whole, too stark of a contrast. Like, I, sometimes I, sometimes look, guys will show up in suits, and it's like, suit on that side, me in shorts and a t-shirt over here, so I think we got a good balance. I spared you my shorts today, so <laughs> yeah. I, didn't wanna, I didn't want to show off those sticks, so... Look, so Tell us, uh, man, I've seen you guys around. Um, tell us what rigor is uh, yeah. on a high level. Well, so, so Rigor is, um, it's an operational management suite. And so it's a software package that's kind of designed to help oil field service companies and rental companies, you know, run their company. It's yeah. not a, it's not a, it's not an accounting software. It is just, it's there to help operations guys, you know, like myself, um, just run the company so they know what they're making every day and where they're making it. That's kind so of So that's it really interesting. This is geared towards OFS. Yes, yes. Yeah, not a lot of software in the space that is built for OFS operations, right? I actually think that you may be the first one that's ever been on the show that's come out and said, hey, yeah, yeah. we're building something for OFS, not for EMPs. Right. I don't, I don't know if that makes us very smart or if it just <laughs> makes us very committed, but maybe maybe it's both. But yeah. uh, we're definitely committed to the oil and gas services space. And so it's that's my background. And, and then the founder, uh, Michael, they're up in Canada. Uh, it, you know, it's our passion to, to serve the oil and gas service companies. And, uh, you know, it's an underserved sector from the, from mm -hmm. the software side. There's a lot of big software companies that want to kind of shove their software into the space and kind of make it fit. But, you know, ours is designed 100% for oil and gas service and rental companies. Yeah. I mean, I remember we had Alex Fleming from Deloitte. Okay. Um, God, that was ages ago. Yeah. It seems like that was like over two years ago. seems like forever ago. I'm actually like thinking in my mind, I was like, did that really happen? Or am I making this <laughs> up? But I know I've had the conversations <laughs> with him, but no, he was on the podcast and, uh, over at Deloitte, he really worked, he was working with OFS companies on like truly digitalizing and, you know, how, how can we utilize and leverage new software to become more efficient? And we were talking about just, you know, how underserved the market is and there aren't tech companies that are looking at, hey, how can we build um, a suite that is specific to these guys? And it's a huge market too, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, all the uh, software that's built for EMPs, I mean, how many OFS companies do you have in the Permian Basin alone? I mean, there's Well, you know, I mean, there's probably, you know, just in the whole ecosystem there's probably 10 15,000 yeah service companies and manufacturers out there yeah and and all of them have kind of this new challenge in, in this new world that we're in and there's a lot of things that have made this world new other for oil and gas other than just covid you know you have a lot of uh of investment dollars that have left the space and so it's requiring people to 
to function based upon the cash flow that generate, especially service companies, because there's not a lot of buying and selling service companies anymore. So now we just got to make money mm-hmm. and we got to generate a lot of cash. And so, and that's, I know that sounds like a new concept for, for some of my service company brethren, but, but it, it but it, you know, it seems odd that it would be a new concept, but it really is. And uh, so people are now having to face the fact that they're the executives in these these corner offices are, are going to be in there for the next 10 years. I mean, they're, they're not going to be selling their company anytime soon. They're going to have to run their company and they're going to have to run it for it in, in the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. And so every half a point of EBITDA, it matters mm-hmm. and it's going to generate cash. And so, yeah. so we like to, you know, I like to say, if you don't know your revenue, your EBITDA and your equipment utilization every day in real time before you go home, then you know you you could do a lot better job at running your company. And yeah. so, so you're so what you're saying is that most of the OFS companies have really been in that that build and sell model. A lot of people have. Okay, yeah. so, you know because there was a lot of private equity dollars that came mm-hmm. into the space, and uh, and the idea was to build it and then to sell it because those funds have it for only ten years, and so they have no choice but to try to sell it. But but because of you know uh, climate climate change. Uh, activism and then um, ESG funds. And, you know, it's just a lot of those institutional dollars that have left the Mm -hmm. space. And uh, so, so companies, they're still passionate about the business and, uh, but they're going to have to run their businesses and they're going to have to have to generate cash to return to their shareholders instead of selling the company. And they can only do that in my way by, you know, my view by making, operations as efficient as possible by knowing everything about where their equipment is because there's not a lot of capital to buy new equipment. So they need to maintain it better. They need to have a great safety record and, um, and, you know, rigor solves these problems. It solves those pain points for, for just the operations guys and, you know, the C, the C-suite on up to their board level. I'm excited to dive into this. And so before we started recording, you, you said you're from Midland, mm-hmm. kind of walks through your background a little bit. Obviously you said you're, you're yeah, from Well, OFS. so I told him I, he graduated from Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be a, a chemistry teacher. I taught AP chemistry and among many other things at Midland high school. Yeah, I was gonna say Midland high. I used to rival. be a Baptist <laughs> minister in, in Midland. And then I kind of got into, I got married and I needed to make some actual money. And so uh, I, I joined uh, a company that eventually got, got bought by oil states international. Mm, yeah. And, uh, so I got in the well testing space okay. and kind of worked my way up there and, and, uh, uh, managing different divisions and, uh, worked for select energy services, covenant testing technologies. Um, and, um, so I know the space, you know, really, really well. And okay. so I, you know, as, as well as I guess anybody can know it from, from an office and I did spend some time in the field, but, but, uh, you know, the real heroes out there are the ones, you know, swinging the hammers, being on the, being on the well site. And so I didn't get the privilege of doing that as much as, as some of my other brethren out there, but yeah. But yeah. yeah. I mean, you come from, you know, you do a lot of, um, like well testing and things of that nature. And you start seeing the back office operations of these OFS companies. And I've always been really, um, intrigued by OFS because even today a lot of OFS companies don't use very simple software like CRMs or things of that nature. And I just wrote a Twitter thread a couple days ago about, you know, how digital wildcatters, we use a tech stack of notion and Slack and Zen cell as our CRM. And Mm -hmm. we don't send a single internal email. We've streamlined communication Mm -hmm. 
and got a lot of got a lot of interest and questions from the oil and gas industry like hey can you make some content showing us how to do this there's just so much there's so much meat on the bone there mm-hmm. and in my opinion you know i come from the service side too worked in ofs for better part of a decade and saw how things were done and it's just like some simple software you know you look at what silicon valley has done and other verticals with software and then you look at oil and gas and mm-hmm. i've always said the oil and gas tends to be 10 years behind it's just like you know what you mentioned if you run a um a, you know say a wireline uh company you should be able to know on a daily basis when you go home and you go to sleep like hey what was our revenue for that day right you know are we are well we, and now your costs Before, yeah what's our we, costs yeah we're, it's all we're focused on our revenue yeah and you yeah, get we need a holistic yeah we need to look at the bottom line the close, you're like come in eh. so we made 35 percent ebitda instead of 45 percent ebitda it's all right but now you're talking about we made we made negative 4% EBITDA instead of positive 8% EBITDA. So you yeah. don't have that that luxury anymore. And some of what has driven that is just a, a resistance against transparency in the energy space, in the oil and gas services space. You know, number one, let's talk about sales. You know, I mean, yeah. a salesperson is only, in their view, their value is in the relationships that they have. And so they're going to yeah. guard those relationships, those contacts, and and also their freedom. And so they don't like, necessarily the CRMs and the transparency that it provides. And so what I found, I have a neighbor that works for Microsoft and, and, and even in working at rigor, um, is been eye opening, just this incredible transparency about everything that you do. Mm -hmm. So from, from your, the time that you spend, what you do, you know, we have a CRM, we have, we don't use email. I mean, I have yeah. very few emails inside of rigor that are back and forth with each other because yeah. we do everything on different platforms because, uh, high performance companies in, in this 21st century are, they know all these tricks and they're doing that. And the, the oil and gas space is the EMP side of things. They're, you know, they've kind of caught on first, but, but OFS is just, you know, the ones that do it, they are going to win in the end. In my view, those are the highest, the ones that have digital digital transparency from beginning to end of their other day with their assets, their people, their sales, you know, not to kind of lord over people, but to create that accountability that, that brings out the best in people. Yeah. True alignment with your team so that no one's, no one's holding you hostage. So you don't have Mm -hmm. an operations manager that, that's holding that that's holding back information about what actually really happened out on that well site. Yeah. We just kind of magically <clears throat> lost that client. We don't know why, but you don't have data. So you're just relying on all these people that, um, that, that may or may not be able to give you true objective information. It's not like they're bad people that just don't know how there's no system for them to communicate yeah. through. So they just do it the best way that they knew how. And it's kind of an old system really. Yeah. And then so, you introduce a lot of human bias and yeah. things of that nature. And yeah. you can't really, Not bad people, wonderful yeah. people. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, and so rigor is kind of that full suite. You know, how it started was just, you know, when you go out and do a well testing job or you do any kind of service job or rental job, you, you have to get a field ticket signed. So you're going to bill them a daily, you know, yep. whatever you're going to charge for them uh, for that day. And then you're going to generate a ticket. So, and they're going to have, you're going to go out there and try to find somebody to sign that ticket. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, my EMP friends out there and you know, arguably it's a really good tactic, but 
but they make it, they kind of play hard to get on getting that field ticket signed. And so that's kind of how rigor started was try to trying to digitize that process. And then through our clients, um, just, you know, when they, once they realize that we can digitize that, that, that process, even if it means a manual signature, that there's other things that they could track, which is, you know, that asset that went on that job and then maybe the maintenance on that asset or maybe the chargebacks for the maintenance after the job so we can bill it back to the client or maybe the maybe the labor that went into that and uh, or maybe the safety that went into that job. And so we realize there's so many pieces of information, but that our accounting system that tries to do, but it can't do, especially the big ones out mm. there. You know, QuickBooks is great, but it can only do so much. And and so our clients have kind of demanded it over time um, to track, you know, everything that happens out there. And so, and that's kind of where we are. We've evolved to this place right now. Yeah. So, so, you know, kind of talk to us about what the platform can actually do. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that you guys aren't a accounting platform, right? but we have talked a lot about, you know, revenue and EBITDA sure. and things of that nature. And you brought up the idea of, uh, or the, point of keeping up with maintenance on equipment and things of that nature. So, you know, if I'm an OFS guy and I'm listening to this, um, you know, what can rigor do for me if, you know, from end to end? Yeah. So the first, first and foremost, it's the digital field ticketing system. So that's what it starts with. It kind of starts with that, that rental or, you know, service agreement with the client that has pricing. And so, you know, it starts, that is the foundation for all of that to completely digitize that process. Yeah. And then of course, when you go out there, you're going to have to have equipment. And so you're going to choose, you're going to put equipment in the system and is it going to be ready? Is it, is it red tagged? Is it green tagged? Is it on another location? So you're going to need to know kind of the status of that equipment. Yeah. So the, the system is going to track that. It may even track the location of where that, that piece of equipment is. And so, so then you're going to want to assign that equipment to, to a job. So you get called for a rig up. Uh, we can even go back a little bit further. A sales guy does a quote. He can put that into the system and it can take that information and it can, and then it can create this job. And, um, and so which you have sales, uh, you have pricing. And so you have the rig update, you start, the cost process and, and, uh, and the revenue process. And so it begins to track all of that. And so when you go buy things with the PO, you can use rigor to, to create that PO and then it tracks it into that job. If you want to, uh, when a guy goes and he, um, you know, he's going to clock in, he can, we can take that, that, uh, that time, that pay, uh, rate, we can put it into the system and we can assign it to a job. Um, that asset, you know, the, you know, where it is, you know, and plus all the documentation that comes with that asset, whether it be the, the test disc for pressure testing mm-hmm. or, or other quality documents, you know, they kind of follow that asset. So, so, so every, every, when you go out on a job, it's going to begin tracking all of that. So this sounds like accounting, but it's not done that way in operations. What it's typically done is by, some people, even hundred million dollar companies are using carbon paper, you know, mm-hmm. carbon copies to go out there and yeah. keep track of what the assets did. They're coming back. And at some point they're trying to have to 
put in a field ticket into the accounting system. And so we're eliminating any kind of manual process that's happening in the field. A lot of people use Excel or they may use different platforms to kind of gen- kind of digitize these things. But, but, but ultimately, yes, it always comes back to the accounting. And so what I find is that most companies are using a zoo of different processes and systems, a lot of them very manual in the field. And then they try to digitize it in the accounting office. Mm. And then, and then, then there's just problems. Okay. And so what rigor does, it digitizes everything in the field and then creates a nice seamless interface with your accounting system. So it just pushes it straight into there so that the accountants can, you know, do what they do. Right. Yeah. And create financial statements and, and, um, and audits and, you know, all those types of things. Yeah. So it really brings a lot of, like you said, transparency and visibility and accountability to the operation side. Yeah. Much more effective to manage off of the software or system like that as yeah, opposed say, to like, the carbon. You, you have an app, you know, the yeah. field guys can use an app to do all this stuff instead of a piece of paper. And so. I'd almost label it. I don't know how you guys categorize it, but it's kind of project management yeah. software, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. You know, if you look at it from the field perspective, it's like, hey, from the time that a salesperson is giving out a proposal or a quote to the time that, you know, equipment is docked, shipped, ticket signed, that's all managing that operation. Right. And then, boom, opens up portal essentially and spits it out to accounting. It's the back office and yeah. they can do whatever they need to do with that information. Let accountants do the accounting, let the operations do the operations and it, it, lets everybody stay in their lane. Yeah. But, uh, and without really sharing systems. And so most of our clients would have, I mean, I, I you know, you want to have two systems. You want to have a good ERP, which is the accounting and you want to have operational. Um, so, so it's, it's, you know, it's wonderful if it works that way, but most, so it's built in modules. So our, instead of having separate systems, some of our competitors will have separate systems that, Hey, you have a, you can use our CRM or you can use, uh, you can start, use our ticketing system, but they're not really the same system. Yeah. Um, so ours is based upon the foundation being that field ticket. We believe it begins and ends with that field ticket. And, um, and so whether, you know, and, and, and which is that agreement that you have with your client with how much you're going to charge. Mm-hmm. And so that's called a rental service agreement. And so whether it's services or actual equipment and whether it's a contract or not, it's still an agreement. We have a price, we have a service or product that we're going to be offering. And so that is foundational. So that's, you know, what the first thing we try to do. And then some companies will actually allow their people now to, to kind of e-sign things. So you don't have to track them down with a piece of paper. So we offer that, you know, as part of the the, the package that you can completely digitize that field ticketing process. If your customer is gracious enough to, to let you do that and not, uh, not put you off. So for those of you that haven't heard of Petrovisor platform from data creation yet, well, you're in luck because I just so happen to be the sponsor of the oil and gas service podcast. So Petrovisor is a knowledge automation platform for EMP companies, production and operations data. If you're watching this on video, I know you can see the screen share. They're walking us through a demo here. Super, super slick. So what does it do? It removes existing data silos to automate the flow of data and knowledge across the EMP value chain. So what is that? So doing this creates knowledge automation for everyday work while enabling scalability, speed of deployment, and data transparency throughout the organization. 
Customers use Petrovisor to make the best use of their data, preparing themselves and their organizations for a generational evolution of technology. Where the platform operators have seen an increase in operating netbacks, having lower lifting costs by 10 20% through advanced problem detection and lift optimization. In addition, operators can reduce data management costs by 80 to 90%. That is no joke, while increasing data utilization with Petrovisor. These guys make it super simple. Petrovisor can be implemented in a matter of weeks, not months, saving hundreds of thousands of dollars for the operator, if not millions. Head over to datagration.com to learn more. My favorite field ticketing story is I used to do work for Penn, Virginia, down in the Eagleford. Okay. And so we'd be down, you know, Three Rivers area and do the work. And then we'd have to get the ticket signed and then drive it all the way up to their field office, which was two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. Drop it off in a mailbox <laughs> on the, uh, or on a drop box on the patio. And then we'd have to drive all the way back down to Victoria. I mean, you're talking... Three hours out of the way to drop that, off a ticket. That you're not getting a bill for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And yeah. Me as a wireline hand, I'm not getting paid for this. No. And so, no. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. That was 2013. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it still happens today. I mean, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a tactic. So they want to, they want to, they're smart about it, but they're, they want to help finance their operations by creating some barriers to, to yeah. get, and it's also Pro- time to negotiate. Hey, well, you know, provide what? That, some I'm, resistance. Yeah, to this, the process. this is a time yeah. to this is yeah. a time to retrade a bit before I actually put my signature on there. Yeah, hundred so, percent. I don't blame them. I yeah. don't blame them. But but they're <laughs> also, I mean, in EMPs. I mean, that's they're they're wonderful. Okay, but they're uh, they're also they, they give her challenges to the to the yeah. service guys. But you know, OFS has been a really just you know the the pricing on OFS. Everyone. I remember last year in 2020, I'm trying to think of what company it was, uh, maybe Parsley, can't remember, but I remember seeing memos going out to OFS saying, hey, we need you to decrease your prices by 15% or yeah. whatever it was. And it's just like I, people forget that OFS never really recovered from- 2015? Yeah. Yeah. From 2015. Yeah. Not, not still, really. No. Still operating at bottom of the barrel prices and mm-hmm. then COVID in 2020 happened. And there's just like, man, we've pulled all the levers we can pull. And, um, you know, if you're a service company, you made it through 2020, kudos to you. Cause yeah. what a tough environment to survive in. Yeah. But well, I'm, you see it in the public companies, you know, they're reporting in, you know, eight, 10% EBITDA and, yeah. um, it's just barely enough money. It's certainly, barely enough money to cover their maintenance capex. Mm-hmm. So there's just not, there's not a lot of margin and there's definitely nowhere to go, but up from there. Yeah. And so it's not going to be necessarily made up on with, with rig count being flat, frat count being flat. You can't lower your prices anymore to com- to compete. So you've got to do it through great service and through trying to differentiate yourself in any way you can from your competition because so many of the so many of the services are pretty commoditized now yeah and so it's very difficult to di- differentiate yourself yeah 100 percent. so if you can't do any of that you just need to make more money with what you have and you know we believe we're i mean we're very affordable but but it pays for itself 10 times over if it's done properly to truly digitize your operations um it it is transformational for the for the entire company because you 
you create this high performance, very transparent culture, which I think is in the old days. And I was, you know, I was probably guilty of this too. You know, you could pay somebody a little extra money and, uh, and you could, uh, you know, you know, give them a, give them a weekend off down, even pay for their, their little vacation, you know, and you could do (laughs) a lot of things that you can't do anymore. Yeah. Um, because you don't have the money. And yeah. so, so how to create culture and, and um, retention in an environment where you're not very popular with the rest of the world. And, and so, you know, to create a sense of pride, we, we think that the companies that are truly high performance and uh, invest in their own operations, they're the ones that are going to win in the end. Yeah. And so. Who do you, who do you guys see as y'all's competitors in this us? space? Yeah. And so, um, so there's, um, there's a group out in, in Louisiana called corporate surfaces. They have a RTMS. It's a legacy mm-hmm. type of software. It's been around 20 plus years. It's, um, it's, um, so that's definitely, okay. you know, rental tool management software. Yeah, and they've got yeah. a couple of different versions of that. Yeah. Um, and then kind of a big box version of Salesforce has uh field effects that has, that they've tried to kind of take Salesforce and, and, and use that platform to, to bring in a system like this. And then there's yeah. a, there's others that kind of are modular. That yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of ticketing systems out there. Yeah, there are. That's the reason I wanted to ask. And I was, I was going to kind of gear that towards, you know, we've, we've had a couple people on the show that have also done things on the ticketing system. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily uh, maybe a complete operational yeah. suite that kind of ties into particularly equipment and rentals and things yeah, like that. It sounds like y'all just built, like it started, yeah, Is those modules that we've added to it, that's why we call it a suite because uh, it has the full gamut of all operations from safety to sales to maintenance to chargebacks to um, to your fleet management. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the basis of that is the field ticketing, is the digital ticketing. But mm-hmm. no, we're we're much more than that. That's the, while that's foundational to us, that's, um, that's certainly, you know, that's not, that's the least of, of what we do. However, it is the starting point. Yeah. Are you guys focused mainly on land service companies or mm-hmm. are you all doing We do have interna- international clients. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, but right now, I mean, I, my focus is on the U.S. and U.S. land because, you know, my ties to the Permian and, yeah. and, um, and there's so many more companies out there. And it, to me, they have so much more room to grow. Yeah. And um, some of the offshore and international companies, they they may have already have a system they may not like it, but they they're big enough to where they have some kind of system. Yeah. So it's not low hanging fruit by any means, yeah. but we're certainly more focused on, on the U S land than we are anywhere. What's the, uh, what's the sentiment of, uh, service companies out in West Texas? I mean, usually have the, um, I would just say the characterization of being slow to adopt technology yeah. and um, slow to change their ways. What have you seen, you know, since 2020? Is there more of a concentrated effort for people to try something new and to try yeah, there's technology There's definitely like an this? appetite to, number one, you'd be surprised at how many people have looked for something and they just kind of grown their own system, whether they've gone and just, hired somebody for like Excel and done a, a, a yeah. really just, you mean just a powerful Excel yeah. page, you know, I have several um, contacts that do that, you know, dozens actually, yeah. or that they've tried to even build their own, 
you know, I know several people that have, you know, companies that you would have heard of yeah, um, that have uh, even public companies, you know, that have built their own. And um, so you'd be surprised at how sophisticated they are out there. And I was really pleasantly surprised about that and also disappointed at the same time because I was hoping to come in there and say, you know, hey, we're the, we're the first to the market. But, you know, a lot of people have, have tried to do something. Yeah. Um, so with that said, they're a lot more open minded now than they were, let's say, in 2015 or 2000 or before, maybe in 2014. Yeah. When when margins were really high, kind of before the 15, 16 crash. So let's say hundred dollar oil kind of yeah. clouds the, uh, you know, no one's really caring about being efficient. Yeah. Where you're times. more focused on revenue. Yeah. And then you hear about this pesky thing called EBITDA. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, you know, or return on invested capital or, or some of those other things that the NBA guys talked about, but, uh, <laughs> but really those are just, those are nuisances. And, yeah. uh, but, but in, in this world that we're in right now, I mean, people have become so much more sophisticated from the high school dropout that, that, that turned CEO. I mean, it's amazing at how smart some of these people are and they're figuring it out. And so, yes, when oh, we dude, come I in mean, there and the, talk to them, they're like, yeah, Hey, we want to see what you have to offer and see if it's worth the brain damage of, of, starting a new system, implementing a new system. I mean, they're fully aware of those things now. OFS is one of the most interesting, I don't want to say industry, it's not an industry, but just one of the most interesting segments to me because you have those guys, high school, I can't tell you how many guys I know, no education, I'm one of them, I don't have a college degree, and went and started a company, you know, worth multi-millions mm -hmm. and because they just went out there and did it. Yeah. And they're smart guys. And I mean, just West Texas boys. Inventors. Know. A lot of them were inventors too. You yeah. Know? And they had a clever idea and they, they, yeah, you know, they, I don't know if they were extra smart or they weren't smart enough to know that they couldn't do it, but they no, did that's, it anyway. Dude, that's a hundred. I tell everyone, I said, I've uh, convinced that so many people out in Midland in Odessa that better. have started successful companies were just, they, they didn't know what they didn't know. <laughs> they, yeah. they were just successful because well, it's sort of that big fish in a small pond mentality. When, when you believe you're a big fish, then, then it's incredible the things you can do with little confidence. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I graduated, I was number one out of 11 students, but I was still number one in my mind. I, and, <laughs> and my mom told me I was the smartest, smartest man in the world. And, yeah. and I was best looking and <laughs> none of those things were actually true, <laughs> but you believed it, right? <laughs> but I believed in it. And it took me a long ways and it, it took me till almost being 50 years old before I figured out that she was not, you know, she wasn't exactly being truthful there. Of course, I'm a father of five. And yeah. so I, I'm you repeating those. Sense yeah. as well, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just really interesting dynamic that you have out there because you do have, I mean, incredibly smart people, um, in a very, uh, rugged and service-based environment. And the idea of applying technology to a, a unsexy segment of an unsexy industry. Like you talk yep. about the oil and gas industry and then you talk about OFS. I mean, that's about as. So, so I think that's a good transition to, to the, the guy that started it, Michael. And so while I am an entrepreneur and I'm a founder and you know, we're not here to talk about that story. That's a different podcast, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but Michael, first of all, he's Russian. And I always introduce him and say he's got a really thick East Texas accent, but uh, <laughs> but then he's he's he was a CFO and um, just kind of had some bad luck at at the company he was at and and just putting in new systems and and he started 
started a software company and that's awesome. and uh he's from canada and so you know a russian canadian coming into texas trying to <laughs> trying to make it happen so I, I i'm just so impressed with with him and you know, we're, we're kindred spirits michael and i are we're, yeah we're, we're both of us just uh lament that we have a hard time making a, an objective decision because we just make decisions based upon the gut so much you know and and uh but he's uh but he's intuitive, and so the whole system is intuitive to to really try to hone in on those pain points of our customers, and and it sort of begins this love affair with rigor and the client, and yeah. so we just become very invested into their success, and yeah. uh, everybody's on a first name basis because we're a boutique firm, and yeah. And so everybody's on a first name basis with mm -hmm. uh, you know you got these West Texas guys or Texas guys. Or, with all these Russians and Ukrainian and, you know, a few of us, uh, us Texas guys here, but, uh, um, it's really, uh, it's really a neat, um, and you unique situation that I think is, um, the foundation for something just absolutely amazing. So awesome. So if someone's at an OFS company and they're listening to this, where can they find you guys? What's the URL to the website? Well, rigor.us. Okay. And you know, you, you visit the website and put your name in and, uh, and, uh, believe me, we will find you. <laughs> <laughs> I will find you. <laughs> so There'll great. be somebody delivering pizza on your doorstep by this evening. If you, if you Amen. get in, uh, if I can get free pizza. Then. <laughs> well, I, I guess now that I say that, I guess I'm now promising that, but sure. sure <laughs> yeah. You get free pizza. You want free pizza. You're looking for free pizza. I'm hitting them so. up, up for a demo. I want some yeah. free pizza. Yeah. <laughs> So thanks for coming on the show, yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate, yeah, appreciate this. Mine. Excited about what you guys are doing. So we'll leave a link to Rigor in the show notes. So if you want to check it out, uh, make sure to check out the website. Can't guarantee free pizza, but you can shoot your shot. All right, guys. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, usually I say leave us a rating or review. You can do that too. Uh, go sign up for our newsletter. Um, like we just realized that nobody was able to like actually get to it from the website through something. So now it's listed in the the heading bar, the menu bar. We put a lot of effort into that every single week. A lot of oil and gas news, a lot of energy news, a lot of really good memes. So go check that out. It's in your inbox every single week. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Come, 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 come.